If you can, please follow with me. Turn into Lord's Day 35 in your book of praise. Lord's Day 35, question answer 96. What does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship Him in any other manner than He has commanded in His word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But May, may images not be tolerated in the churches as a book for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught, not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord, Jesus Christ, we just read Lord's Day 35, which deals with the second commandment of the law. And before we get into this, uh, this commandment, Lord's Day 35, it is always good to be reminded where we are at the, uh, when it comes to the Heidelberg Catechism. We are at the last section. There are three the sections in the Heidelberg Catechism, the first one is uh, the section of, that deals with our sin and misery. The second section deals with our salvation. And the last section talks about our thankfulness. And the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments are in the last section, which is about our thankfulness. In other words, we have to constantly remind ourselves that the reason why we keep those commandments is not because we can earn salvation through keeping those laws, but we keep the laws because we are thankful for the redemption from by Jesus Christ. The previous Lord's Day, before Lord's Day 35, which is the Lord's Day 34, speaks about the first commandment. The first commandment requires us to know and believe the true only one God. Therefore, the first commandment forbids us to, from worshiping other gods or idols. Then the Lord's Day 35 is talking about how we ought to worship. The easiest way to memorize these two commandments is by using the word who and how. The first commandment is about who we ought to worship. We have to worship, we ought to worship God, only true God. And the second commandment is about how or in what manner we ought to worship God. When someone visits your house, there are certain rules and adequates that you have to keep. For instance, 
let's imagine that this morning we, we prayed uh, for, uh, about the queen. The queen had her 90th birthday, let's say. She, let's suppose that she came to Owen Sound to celebrate her birthday, but it's not likely to happen, but who knows. But there are certain regulations that you want to be aware of when you meet the queen. First, you want to address her as your majesty. You certainly do not want to raise your right hand to her and address her as a fuhrer. You just don't do that. Unless you want to cause a serious diplomatic problem. Also, you cannot just offer something like a droppy or whatever you think that she would like to eat. If you do, the next thing that you're going to see is a couple of 007s guys taking you down. The point is, you should not call her, you should call her with a proper title and you also need to offer what she likes not what you think she likes. And it is the same with God. When we worship Him, God is, we have to know that God is much more majestic than any other earthly king or queen. And He deserves the most proper worship that fits with His glory. And here I preach the gospel that is faithfully summarized in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 35 with following theme and points. God forbids his people from self-willed worship of the Lord. First point, we're going to talk about what is self-willed worship. Second point, why is it forbidden? And third, what could be, what what is our weakness for this commandment? So first point, what is the self-willed worship of the Lord? Well, in Deuteronomy 5, the Lord forbids His people from carving images or any form. The Lord also forbids us from bowing down to those things. Heidelberg Catechism summarizes the second commandment very well. We are not to make an image of God in any way nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. But the key word here is any other manner than he has commanded in his word. It is very simple if you think about it. Just as I mentioned, you don't just call the queen fewer. You just don't do that. Just because, not just because you're afraid of those secret services, but because it's just not the right thing to do. When you hear the word Führer, you are naturally reminded of the notorious German dictator. The queen is not a dictator. The, way, the point is the way we treat the queen reflects our view on the queen, the, the, her identity. And of course, it's the same with God. The way that we worship God reflects our view on God's identity. For instance, in the mission field, there are people who practice human sacrifice to their gods. They worship 
God who is brutal and cold. In some countries, some people worship God of rain because in their view, God is just a mere instrument by which they gain their profits. Again, there is a strong link between the way they worship God, the way we worship God, then, and how we view the identity of God. In other words, there is a strong connection between how we worship God and who we ought to worship. Again, the first commandment and second commandment, they are closely linked together. The violation of the second commandment, of course, inevitably leads to the violation of the first commandment. And we can define the term self-willed worship of the Lord as worshiping in any other manners that are commanded in His Word. There are so many examples around, examples around us and around the world. The classic example, of course, is making idols. It is very surprising to see the idols appearing almost every country and every culture. When you go to, let's say, the southern island of Korea, there is a famous icon idol called a stone Grandpa, it's made out of stone. And there are thousands of these stone grandpa statues around whole island. Well, since it's supposed to be a grandpa, of course, it looks very friendly. But you can, you can see the, what kind of deity that people worshipped at the time by looking at the shape of the statue. The shape of the grandpa is actually came from the shape of male genitals. They worship a god of fertility. For them, their god is though just one who gives, uh, gives them fertility. They thought that if they make this stone grandpa with the shape of male genitals, then they would somehow receive a supernatural power that may help their fertility. I don't know, they may get, gain more sons. And see, they are using their God just as a mere instrument for their convenience. Usually, idol worship is combined with the superstitions. If you see carefully how idols are formed, then you can sometimes guess what kind of superstitions people had. Usually people love to impose what they wish, what they want to get into the forms of idols. For instance, in Buddhism, the Chinese religion, the Buddha always, always have a bit of a smile on, on, the, on the face. Buddhists have a heavy emphasis on mercy, that they impose an aspect of mercy on the idol by putting a little smile on the face, which means this, uh, they have a belief that, that they, they need to have mercy. They have to show mercy to others in order to be saved. If you show enough mercy in this life, perhaps you will be born in a better creature in the next lifetime. 
What they're saying is you can work your salvation step by step. Perhaps you can free yourselves by doing lots of good works. And perhaps you can promote yourself in the next life. That's right, I said next life. It is called karma. Of course, for Christians, believing in karma is a ridiculous thing. If you believe in karma, you ought not to kill any creatures, any living creatures, because you have to be nice to them anyway. By killing animals or plants, you are accumulating kind of minus points on your scoreboard. And you, who knows, you might end up in a, in a bad situation in the next cycle of life. So that what happens in this life is reflected by what you have done in the previous life. Of course, this is a serious serious problem if someone believes in this this kind of nonsense. And there are actually some people who believe these things even though they are Christians. And there are also other superstitions among God's people also. The readings that we just read, 2 Kings 18 is talking about the bronze snake that people were still worshipping at the time of Hezekiah. You know the bronze snake. It, was, it first appears in Numbers 21 verse 9. The Israelites spoke against God and Moses because, because they didn't have water and bread. And God sent these venomous snakes to them. Many people died, but they repented. God commanded Moses to make this bronze snake so that whoever looks at the snake may be healed. The snake here was a mere symbol of redemption. John 3, 14, our Savior Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him have eternal life. The snake functions just as a symbol of redemption for Israelites. And we know that the bronze snake was a symbol of Christ's redemption because Jesus said in John 3 that he had to be lifted up. Of course, it is wrong to worship the bronze snake as if it is the snake is our savior. The snake does not have any power. But it was, the snake was meant to be a shadow of, of the great savior in the future. It is like a sign. When you see the sign, you, when you see the sign that has a picture, let's say, of a deer when you drive, when you see the sign, you don't call that sign deer. Nobody says, I saw a deer on the road after seeing the sign. That would be ridiculous. And it's like the bronze, it's, it's, it's the same with the bronze snake. The serpent was a sign that was supposed to lead people to God. But if, but when people worship the snake, it means they actually fail to see the essence of the instruments. 
Same thing can be applied in our daily life. Many people these days have some jewelry, like a cross shape, a necklace, and rings. It is, of course, very good to be reminded of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we should be aware that we don't make any superstitions out of those symbols. Some people may believe that demons are scared of anything that is in the shape of cross, those exorcists. And this, that is, of course, a, a, a silly superstition. And we shouldn't think that the cross, the shape of cross itself, has some kind of special power. Rather, we should, we should focus on what is important. We should focus on Christ only because Jesus is the one who has the infinite power, whereas idols don't. And this leads to the second point. Why is it forbidden? In question and answer, 97 gives the reason we, that why we cannot worship, worship in our terms. Well, it is because God is unfathomable. It is because God cannot be portrayed by human beings. We human beings, we love to express our thoughts in various forms. But the thing is, God is spirit. He's not like a man. In John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in, in spirit and truth. People even offer grains of f- flowers and candles to the idols as if idols can receive those things. God, but God is beyond our thinking. God does not need food or grains to live. He's eternal God. And question answer 97 continues with the following sentences. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or any, have any image of them in order to worship them or serve God through them. God forbids us to make any images. We humans, we love to do that. And we don't stop there. We even like to put meanings into the forms. Again, the stone grandpa, because of its unique shape, people start to place a certain meaning on the grandpa. The people wanting to impose fertility into the shape of idol. Sometimes, sometimes people love to fake all sorts of silly stories with the superstitions. Something like, if you possess that idol, stone grandpa, you will have many sons. And we love to put what we like into the meanings. We love to impose our thoughts into certain ob- objects. And what I'm afraid that people are imposing And I'm afraid that people are imposing what they want in various practices when it comes to religions. One of the the great things that we receive from God is that the fact that we are created in God's image. 
We are far much better than other creatures such as monkeys and bears. We are far more intelligent. We have this complicated language that other creatures don't have. We have artistic skills that monkeys do not have. And we ought to remember that it is we who were created by God's image. That's why we have all those brilliant skills. But we often try to impose our image to God. As I mentioned earlier, the violation of the first commandment leads to the violation of the second commandment. By by carving idols, we refuse to recognize God as our creator. By trying to draw God, we are trying to be God because we are imposing our view of God as as if we can force God to become what we want him to be. By doing these heinous acts, we tend to rob the glory of God. Behind all these idols, there is a source of all sins, arrogance. We want to be like God. We can do better than God. And Psalm 115 gives us a good lesson. It says, But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have a mouth, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, cannot feel, fit, cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. What a fearful message. Idols are dead. They don't move. Whereas God is God of the living. People tend to use whatever artistic skills they have to make idols very beautiful. They may be very beautiful and fancy. But the truth is, they are just breathless. And idols may look fancy and shiny, gold and silver. But God, however, He didn't have to use any of those shiny materials. When He created the world, He only used His living preaching of word. And of course, when you see those beautiful creations around us, we realize the creation is much better and beautiful than those fake idols. Sometimes we tend to be a little bit lenient on this, uh, regarding this second commandment. We are more offended when we see other people violating 6th, 7th, 8th commandment than 2nd commandment. But the 2nd commandment is very very significant. Again, it's because it concerns with the identity of God. Again, the way we worship reflects how we consider God. If non-Christians see our practices, 
full of stupid superstitions, they will mock our God. If we take our worship service very seriously, then when non-Christians in this neighborhood or in this town, if they see us very serious about worship service, then they will know who God is. When our neighbors see us praying to God in public places like McDonald's or Tim Hortons, when they see we read Bibles every, after every meal, they will be impressed. When they see us praying seriously, they will see our God is a compassionate God who surely listen to, listens to our prayer. When people see us reading Bible seriously every day, they may ask this question, who is this God that, that he or she is serving? Who is this God that makes this person to be so diligent in reading the Bible? Who is this God that makes the person be so diligent in his, in his work? Who is this God that made this person to be such an honest man? And of course, our catechism is very right that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors to Christ. But the most important reason why we ought to take the second commandment seriously is because, again, God is the one who created us. God is the master of all things. Of course, we, when we meet our queen or let's say prime minister, we pay our proper respect. God is, of course, more majestic than those earthly leaders Then you know that what you're supposed to do. Jesus taught us nicely in Matthew 22. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that's what Jesus did. He worshipped God in God's way. He always said, not, my, not by my will, but your will. And he always was submissive. And this leads to the last point, our weakness for this commandment. Although, well, we want to be like Jesus Christ, although we want to do like Jesus Christ as we sinners are not perfect. We always struggle with this commandment in various ways. And of course, God is concerned with this problem. Of course, the second commandment is a really a big deal. We can see that from, from what God said in Deuteronomy 5, God said in Deuteronomy 5, verse 8, that for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of our fathers of children to the third and fourth generation who hate me. God said he's a jealous God. Well, we shouldn't think this word jealous as if God becomes jealous like human. But it is just expression that God really hates us bowing down to the idols. God really hates us when you worship in our terms. 
God doesn't want us to misunderstand who God is. The people in 2 Kings verse 18 thought that the snake had the saving power. God hates superstitions because superstitions tends to rob the glory from God and plays into other creatures. We are exposed to many types of dangers and temptations when it comes to the second commandment. And question answer 98 gives one of the, one of the examples that was highly problematic when Heidelberg Catechism was written. The Roman Catholics had the books which included many illustrations and pictures. Those pictures were supposed to help people to understand the Bible better. But actually, in reality, it stimulated people's mind in a wrong way and created many false stereotypes. We can actually see this kind of uh, thinking, this kind of re- this remnants of influence in many places. For, for an example, there are so many, so many pictures of our Jesus Christ having uh, such a long hair, and uh, he's being a white man, and he wears a very red, fancy toga. He always has this very nice beard. And I found something very interesting. Uh, some of my African friends, African theologians, suggest that we should draw pictures of Jesus as a, as a black man since he, was, he spent his youth in Egypt. Some Korean artists, they drew Jesus as an Asian, wearing all those traditional Asian clothes and using chopsticks when he established the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we want to impose our views of the Lord Jesus Christ when he draw those kind of pictures. And those pictures tend to rob our attention from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are real like a lamp. We tend to be distracted so easily. Once we see those pictures, those images, they are stuck in our mind forever. It's like aliens. Nobody saw aliens. But when we ask our children to draw or describe aliens, they somehow do it. They somehow draw aliens based on the movie they they have seen. And some some of them even actually believe that they look like E.T. Movie directors love to twist the story of the Bible in order to attract more people. They impose their views of the Bible into the movie. It's all about making profits. All those pictures, movies, they don't really, don't, they don't really do justice when it comes to the giving glory to God. All those problems with movies Cartoons and superstitions, they are a very important issue to God because God hates anything that makes his people to have misconception about God. 
God wants you to have right knowledge of Him because He loves you, because He wants to be with you. Therefore, therefore we should be very sensitive about these issues. God gave, of course, something much better than, than those movies or cartoons or, or those artistic pictures to make understand better of His works. That is the Word of God. Catechism even calls those images as dumb images. Habakkuk Chapter 2, 18 says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has, sh- has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts its own creation when he makes the speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden things, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Well, on the other hand, God's word is sufficient enough and efficient to lead us to God. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Jesus Christ, when he was teaching the people, he didn't use any pictures or tools other than his words. His words, of course, is very sufficient. It was very sufficient to reveal whatever he wanted to reveal. People were amazed by his teachings, by his words. His words even have powers. Even his parable stories. All those parables seem to be very basic and simple, yet they are very profound and deep. And his words do not drive us astray from God's, the message of God. God is indeed wise, and he knows what he's doing. He, used, he uses his words to teach us, not those dumb images. I don't know how many of you watched the, some um, those movies out there uh, about Noah or other Bible stories, but the movies tends to twist the truth. You have to know this because they are not really interested in glorifying God. God's word focuses on God's glory, whereas all other stupid, dumb images distract us from the important thing. Let me conclude this sermon with Psalm 119, verse 102. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate false way. Amen. Amen.